Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and let me set the stage for you on what we're doing today. A few weeks ago, I started a sermon series entitled, Sow What You Sow Will Grow. And here, let me just, it'll make sense, let me just explain it to you that sometimes you find yourself in a bad situation in life and and really instead of kind of owning where we are, we start to blame it on other things and it's our parents' fault, it's our spouse's fault, it's our boss's fault, it's 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 University of Tennessee's fault, it's Pepsi's fault. I mean, it just goes on and on and on the list. And what we fail to do is take ownership ourselves of where we are because here's really what has happened is that sometimes we find ourselves in a bad situation and what we are, we are, we are standing exactly where we have designed our lives to be because we have been uh, 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 using this principle of sowing and reaping in our lives because here's what God said in Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. And he goes on to say that when, oftentimes you find yourself in a bad situation. Here's the deal. You have sown the seeds to get your life exactly where you are, and it works both ways. Sometimes you're standing in a good situation and the blessings of God in your life, and, and you're kind of trying to figure out, how did I get here? Like, is this just luck or happenstance? It's not. What happened is, is, is in the weeks, days, years, and months before this, you, you've sown the seed in your life to get you where you are. And so we wind up most of the time in our lives, we are in a garden of our own growing. Our circumstances in life are exactly where we've orchestrated them to be. And that is a principle in Galatians 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, that we, are, we have orchestrated our lives to get us exactly the results we're getting today. It's called sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. What you sow will grow in your life. And so you have to be careful what you sow. And really, that's the whole sermon. There's, there's, it's just one sermon, and it really covers every area of life. But what I've been trying to do since that sermon is, is put some handles on it and some practical areas of life. And so if you've not caught these sermons, I preached a sermon on marriage that would radically help your marriage. Go back and download our Peavine app. Just search Peavine City in the app store, uh, either uh, Android or Apple, and you'll find it there. And I preached one on your walk with God, that your walk with God is a byproduct of how you're sowing into your life. And it, it's just true. And it's all based on Galatians 6, 7. And so uh, over the next few weeks, we're still going to be just putting handles on practical areas of life. And so today I want to put handles on a practical area of life. And it like, when I, when I tell you the topic, I know you're not going to love it, but stay with me because it's such an important message that I want you to hear. And I want to preach today on this subject, dollars and cents. Like how does this principle of sowing and reaping apply to our finances? Because here's what happened. God took an entire chapter to talk about sowing and reaping in our finances. And anytime the Lord takes an entire chapter to talk about one subject, we have to pay attention to that subject. And he does it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, if Americans had no money issues, we wouldn't have to talk about this, right? But Americans have money issues. As a matter of fact, here's a few stats to let us know that 9% of Americans have zero in savings to cover an emergency expense. This is what research tells us, that one out of 10 Americans could not handle any kind of an emergency expense in their life whatsoever. 
We learned that 31% have less than $500 in emergency savings. That anything that would cost over $500, you're either not going to be able to meet the need or you have to put it on a credit card and ring up debt or, and all that. We find out from research that 49% of Americans are concerned, anxious, or fearful about their current financial well-being. We find that that only 39% of Americans could have enough savings to cover a $1,000 emergency. But get this, only 44% could cover a $400 out-of-pocket emergency. We find out that 13.7% of Americans have zero save for retirement, that 286 have less than $10,000 and just two more save for retirement. 72% of adults reported feeling stressed about money at least some of the time, and 22% say they experience extreme stress about money. So three out of four of Americans are stressed about money. Sometimes we can relate to that, but one out of four Americans say they are extremely stressed about money most of the time, and then one out of four Americans report feeling stressed about money most or all of the time, most or all the time. So those numbers are going to hold true in this room today that there's an enormous percentage of us that are concerned about money. We're worried about money. When you add all of that up, it paints a bleak picture of American finances. But here's the deal. We live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world, and we live in one of the most prosperous times the world has ever known. I was on vacation this week and just looking through news one day and one of the articles popped up that said actually some states in America are experiencing what they are terming practical 0% unemployment. That there are some states in America that businesses no longer will move to because they cannot find employees. We are in a prosperous nation. We are in a prosperous time. So if that's true, why aren't we more financially settled and secure? And I want to tell you this. It's not a savings issue. God says it's a generosity issue. Now listen to me because this, what I'm about to say next is the point of the whole passage, but it doesn't make sense in a physical kind of way. We don't have less because we're holding on to less. We have less because we are giving away less. Practical dollars and cents, C-E-N-T-S, says that we, we have, we, we preach I don't have as much because I'm not holding on to enough. That's not the principle. What God's going to tell us is we have less because we aren't generous. We have less because we aren't giving more away. And that doesn't even make sense, but it does when you apply it to this. We are reaping what we sow. And we're sowing less and less generosity. And here's what that means. We are sp spending more money on ourselves than ever before. And we are growing a garden of greed instead of a garden of generosity. And can I tell you this this morning? If you hear anything, hear this. In God's economy, generosity is always the key to unlocking blessings. In God's economy, being generous is always the key to unlocking the blessings of heaven. And so there's an entire chapter that tells us that. And I know that when I say some of these things that we have less uh, because we're, not because we're, hold on to less. I know that you're thinking that doesn't make sense. But look, there's Bible for all of it. And so I want us to read it. So would you stand with me as we read God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along 
up on the screen. We're going to read the entire chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because it's very, very short. But look at it beginning in verse number 1. Now, now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren... Lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, verse 6, he who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work as it is written. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, verse 10. May he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now look this way, because I don't, I don't get to preach this point this morning in verse number 10, but you need to hear the point of verse number 10. Here's what he's saying in verse number 10, that every blessing you have comes from God. That's what he said. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Seed to the sower and bread for food. He's talking about sowing and reaping, but here's what he's saying. Sometimes we assume the seed. Like sometimes we assume, well, there's always going to be seed. I'm always going to have seed in my life. And so we assume the seed. And Paul's quick to remind you, every blessing you have comes from God. Say amen. amen. Thank you. I know you wanted to, but I just wanted to encourage you to do it anyway. And so supply and multiply the seed you have sown, increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it's also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for their obedience of your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Verse 15, he sums it up. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you, you may be seated. Dollars and cents. In a letter to a church with tons of issues. Now, I, I, the, the, book, the two books of Corinth are fascinating books because if you think you've ever been in a church that had issues, you have not because the Corinthian church had some, some major issues. As a matter of fact, some of the issues were so bad, I can't even really preach on them in church. It'd be inappropriate for me to deal with some of their issues. You can go home and read it yourself. But these churches had tons of issues and one of their issue was generosity. And so Paul wants to write an entire chapter to explain how God's economy works. Now listen, in college, I had economics 101. I had economics 201. Like I was taught, uh, to, to borrow a phrase, trickle-down economics, right? Like Ronald Reagan. I get how economy works. I'm not an economist, but I understand it. I had it in college. I got a little common sense. I get it, right? I understand how the economy works. But listen to me, what you learned in college economics, you're going to have to set aside for just a moment to understand that the kingdom of God works at a different plane. It works on a different level. And Paul came along in chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians and he said, let me explain to you how the economy of God works, that how you prosper 
financially. How you are blessed by God is not what they were going to teach you in College Economics 101. So what does Paul tell us? He tells us four things, and here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to spend all my time on point number one, and then I'm going to mention the last three things in a hurry, I promise. Here we go. Number one, here's what you need to know. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. Paul relates generosity to sowing and uh, 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 reaping. Look what he said in verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. By definition, Paul says this. There are two ways to give and there are two ways to reap. And by definition, you're going to fall into one of those two categories. When it comes to money and generosity, typically by nature, uh, we seem to fall into one of two categories. And here's what he says. By nature or by practice, here are the two categories. Not rocket science. Here it is. Number one, there are those who sow sparingly. It is the Greek word for stingy. It is the opposite of generosity. He said there are those who sow financially sparingly. Here's here's what he's saying. They take the blessings of God that are given to them and in return, in return, they are stingy with their giving. Here's what he means. They hoard instead of give. They spend instead of invest. They have what we would describe today and what the Bible describes, but doesn't name it this, what the Bible describes as a scarcity mentality. We have a scarcity mentality. Here's what people with a scarcity mentality believe. That we believe that the blessings of God can run out. Not only that, we believe the blessings of God will run out. Let me ask you this. How many of you believe that heaven is currently suffering a recession? Let me see your hand. No. You don't think heaven, but in practice, we do. Why? We have a scarcity mentality when it comes to God's generosity to us because here's what we think. We think that if we give, that God will not resupply for us to give more and live. And so we, we tend to hold on to what we have. Now, can I tell you something? Uh, just confession time. Uh, I'll, I'll step into the confession on myself. By nature, I have a scarcity mentality. By nature, that is who I am, that left of my own devices, whether it's the, in my genes, whether it's in my DNA, whether it's the way I was raised, by scarcity, I have this, I have the, by, by, by nature, I have a scarcity mentality and I have this fear that, you know, something's going to run out. Hey, have you ever got to the end of a tube of toothpaste? You ever got to the end? Like, and, and so when you get to the end of a tube of toothpaste, you know what you do? You roll that thing up. And you just put a little dot on the end of your toothbrush, right? And you, you're like, man, I don't need my toothpaste. And then, then your wife brings in a brand new tube of toothpaste. And you know what you do? You just squirt toothpaste everywhere. <laughs> I, I got it, man. Why? Because you look and you can see there's a whole lot more toothpaste in the tube where that came from. But when you can't see any more toothpaste, you tend to be a little less liberal with it because you're wondering if your wife's going to put another one because you don't know where it comes from, right? Like it could run out right here. I don't know if they make toothpaste still. I don't know what's happening. I use it sparingly. You have a scarcity mentality. That, that's by nature of me. And so if you're not carefully, if you're not careful, and by the way, 
having it by nature does not excuse you. I have it by nature. It's no excuse for me. But if you let that scarcity mentality uh, dominate you, then you wind up giving sparingly. You wind up being, I mean, the Bible just, it's the word stingy in the Greek. You wind up being stingy in your giving. You wind up being stingy in your resources. You wind up being stingy in your finances. And so a lot of us by nature fall into that category. But then there's the other category and almost no one by nature is in this category. You've either learned it by God, it's been gifted to you as a gift, or, or, or you've cultivated it in your Christian life, but it's those who give bountifully. It's the Greek word plenty, and I love the definition that I found this week. It means to give to the point of blessing. Give to the point of blessing. And when it comes to your finances, you can choose to give liberally or bountifully or to the point of blessing. Now, now look this way, look this way. This is not about how much money you have, how much money you make, or how much you have saved. At the core, it is what kind of person you want to be, and it reveals how much you understand about God's principle of sowing and reaping. You say, well, preacher, how can it not be about how much we have? Well, there's so many ways to prove that. I've seen people with nothing who are very generous. I've seen people with a lot who were incredibly stingy. I've seen people with the same amount of money. One be, look, you can get a husband and a wife in the same household with the same checkbook, and one by nature will be a, a sparingly in give, giving generosity. One by, by cultivation will be bountiful. And my wife and I, look, we first got married. That was us. By nature, she is a generous giving person. By nature, I was a stingy, hold on to it kind of person. And, and so left to her devices, she'd give away everything we owned. I'd be homeless. Left to my devices, I wouldn't give you a dime. Go get a job, man. I mean, that's, that's my mentality. <laughs> and so God put us together and she, listen, she and the Lord together have taught me over the years this principle of bounty, this principle of generosity. And I had to learn it. It didn't come to me naturally. I had to learn it. Because I understand, listen, generosity is not about how much money you have or how much money you make or how much money you saved. And we're introduced to these kinds of persons. There is the one in the Christian life who is stingy when it comes to giving. There is the one who will give to the point of blessing. And listen, that relates to all kinds of giving. You say, are you talking about tithing? Sure I am. Are you talking about giving above your tithe? Sure I am. Are you, are you talking about, I have this up here every week. Are you talking about helping us pay off a million dollars in debt so we can go forward for the glory of God? Sure I am. But are you talking about giving to someone in need? Yes, I am. Are you talking about helping out a single mother God has placed on your heart? Sure I am. Are you talking about helping out a family that needs a blessing in their life? Sure I am. See, the story is about two kinds of people, the, the ones who sow sparingly, the ones who sow bountifully. But listen, the story doesn't end there. If the story ended there, it's nice and neat and have a bow on it, it'd be great. But it, it doesn't end there. The story doesn't end with just the giving part. The story ends in their getting because what Paul said is they're not only different in their giving, they're different in their getting. So here's what he said. You look at it in your Bible. For he who sows sparingly shall also reap. Say it with me. Whoa, wait a minute. He who sows bountifully shall also reap. Say it with me. Bountifully. Here's what he's saying, that, that if you give away little, then you're going to get very little back. And see, this doesn't make sense, but if you give away more, 
You will get more back. Now, pause right there and learn how the economy of God works. Here's how the economy of God works. That the more you give, the more you get. And the less you give, and the less you get. It is the principle of sowing and reaping. And we can't make sense of it with our finances. But if you were going to go replant your lawn, it makes sense with that, Right? Like if you took your lawn and you tilled it all up and you killed all the grass and the weeds that were in it and you said, we're going to start all over again. And, and, you, and, you took, and you took a grass seed and you walked out in the middle of your yard and you put one grass seed in the middle of your yard and you stood back and you watered it. Do you expect to have a beautiful, green, luscious yard the next day? No. Why? You planted one seed. Chances are that seed's not coming up. Especially if you're a Tennessee fan, there's just no way that's coming up, man. <laughs> Things are not going your way. And I am so sorry. I'm not, even angry. I'm not even mad at you. I feel sorry for you. Man, that seed's dying. That seed just entered the transfer portal. He's gone, man. He's going somewhere else. That seed's gone. Now we get that's not going to work. And so if we want to plant in our yard, what do we do? We go out and we put grass seed everywhere. Why? Because we know the more seeds we get in the ground, the chances are greater that we'll have a, a, a good lawn. But somehow we miss it when it comes to the economy of God. And here's what Paul said. The more generous you are, the more generous God will be with you. The more generous you are, the more God will be generous with you. The more generous you are, the more God will be generous with you. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. And the key to the Christian life and our finances is not how much we keep, but how much we give. If you want to sow generosity, if you want to reap generosity, you have to sow it. Listen to this statement. It's, man, it's so good. Even if I am saying it, it's so good. If generosity by me results in generosity to me, why in the world wouldn't we be as generous as possible? If generosity by me results in generosity to me, why would we not be as generous as possible? It only makes dollars and cents. Did you hear about the... Uh, the magical ATM in Houston a, a few months ago. Let me paint the scene for you. This picture of it. Let me paint the scene for you. A guy goes at night and he's going to draw out $100 out of the ATM and he puts his card in, hits his code, and he expects to get 10 $10 bills out. But guess what? 10 $100 bills came out. What would you do? put my hand over the video camera. <laughs> We're going to draw out $200 this time. 200 20 $100 bills came out. <laughs> what would you do? If you have a sliver of a brain, I'd keep withdrawing money till this gig was over, right? Like I. <laughs> he did what any logical person would do. He put it on Instagram. <laughs> he did. 
Some of y'all got to get your priorities right, man. I'm telling you what, he, he put it, not everything's an Instagram moment. He put it on Instagram. And guess what happened after he put it on Instagram? All his friends showed up. And all his friends got in a fist fight in front of the ATM. And next thing you know, there's people wallowing on the ground and they're punching each other. They're all Instagram friends. I don't know what's going on, but they're punching each other. Next thing you know, somebody calls 911 and the police showed up. And they broke up the whole thing. There's another picture. I don't have it. I got a picture of there's two policemen standing in front of the ATM. I, if I was one of the policemen, I'd be like, y'all get away. It's <laughs> investigative purposes right here. You say, well, no big deal. They gave the money back. Bank of America said it's our fault. Keep the money. Somebody had accidentally loaded $100 bills in the $10 bill slot in the ATM machine. Best I could tell, that thing was going to go on for hours. He found a cash machine and he turned it off when he posted it on Instagram. Christian, can I tell you something? You have a blessing machine at your disposal from God. Do not turn it off. Because here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 22.9, Solomon said, who'd, 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 Proverbs are observations about life. And here's what Solomon said I have observed. That he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. Solomon said, I've just noticed over the decades of my life that the people who tend to be generous seem to have more than those who are not. Jesus came along in Luke chapter 6 and here's what he said, give and it'll be given to you. Now that, that doesn't sound great. Like that sounds like I'm going to give a dollar and get a dollar, give a dollar and get a dollar. That that's kind of sounds like, well, I'll just keep my dollar. But Jesus kept on. He said, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Here's what God is saying with that. God is saying, if you measure out generosity to others, I will measure out generosity into your life. And if you're generous, I'm generous. If you're generous, I'm generous. If you're generous, I'm generous. And generosity by us always leads to a harvest of blessing. You are deciding your own financial fate by how you so, don't turn the blessing machine off. It only makes sense that the more you sow, the more you'll grow. Let me show you, the, let me show you another thing. Number two, it's not have to, but get to generosity. It's not have to, but want to generosity. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, so let each one of you gives his purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a, say it with me cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Get this, generosity is never a money issue. It's always a heart issue. And Paul addressed it when he says, it comes to sowing and generosity. There's a certain attitude God loves. Now, get this, God loves. Now, listen, everybody look this way. Look at the screen. Look with me. Say it. God, say it, loves. We aren't told a lot of things that God loves when we do it. We aren't told a lot of things that makes God happy when we're doing it. When we're told those things, pay attention. What does he say? God loves a generous person. God never wants giving to be a have-to mentality. 
God wants you to give cheerfully. In the Greek, the word cheerfully is the word hilaros. It's where we get our word hilarious from or hilarity from. That doesn't mean the same. Hilarious means over-the-top funny. That's not what it meant then. Hilaros meant joy, giving with a smile on your, it meant not giving, but joy and with a smile on your face, with a happy, joyful attitude. Cheerful, the word hilaros, God loves a hilaros giver. It never meant to give out of necessity. It always meant to give from the joy that sprung from your heart. Hey, many of you are married in here today. If your spouse got up in the morning and you heard a ding on their phone and you said, uh, uh, hey, honey, I think you got a reminder. And she said, oh yeah, let me look at my phone. And she said, oh, at 6 a.m. She said, honey, I, I just set a reminder to tell you that I love you today. Because the Bible says I'm supposed to. And I just want you to know, because I'm supposed to, I, I love you. And you thought, well, that's odd. And you walked into the bathroom to get ready and you hear her going, hey, Siri, remind me to tell my husband I love him tonight before we go to bed. I mean, are you really going to feel very loved? No, because that is a, well, I guess I have to tell him I love him tonight. And so many times when we're giving to God, we're giving our tithes, our offerings, we're giving to help others. It becomes a, I guess I have to. I mean, I get it when you pay your taxes. That is definitely a have to mentality. But the government didn't die on the cross to save you and rise again on the third day. Jesus did that. Amen. And his is a giving and a generosity that ought to spring from the joy of our heart. Not a have to, but a get to. Number three, we learn this. If you plant, he'll provide. We see it in two verses, verses eight and verse 11. Look, look here on the screen. They're both here. And God will generously provide. Man, I love that. God will generously provide. It's just re-emphasizing the same point and principle. He's been teaching the whole chapter that God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Verse 11, yes, you will be rich, enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Here's what God was saying. The amazing thing about God is if you sow generosity, he will generously provide all you need. Now notice when God is talking about generosity, he is directly speaking about finances and money and tithing and giving and helping others and generous with others. Not, not frivolous, but generosity. However, however, when he's speaking of providing for you, he's not just talking about money. He is talking about all you need in every way. And so hear me this morning. Here's what the Bible is trying to tell me and trying to tell you that generosity it's not just the key to unlocking God's financial blessings. It is the key to unlocking the blessings of heaven. And what you'll find is that in life, sowing generosity improves all of life. Number four. You can't outgive God. We've heard that principle said in our lives, but I don't mean what you've heard said about it. I mean what verse 15 says. Verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. The King James says for his unspeakable gift. The word means the same thing. It means a gift beyond words to express. 
While your mind is contemplating generosity, here's what Paul said. While your mind is contemplating generosity, while you sit at Peavine Baptist Church this morning, whatever campus you may be at, wherever you may be listening to, I know many people listen on their app during the week and wherever you may be hearing this sermon, while you are contemplating generosity, while you are contemplating tithing, while you are contemplating giving, while you are contemplating helping, while you are contemplating personal generosity, Paul said, just contemplate Jesus's generosity to you. And so Paul said, I told you all this about generosity. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, thanks be to God for his unspeakable, indescribable gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when you're worried about being too generous, Remember, you can't outgive God. He's already given his son. And everything I give in comparison to that still leaves me saying, I want to do so much more. Alexander the Great, when he was walking through a city with his entourage, he saw on the side of the road there was a beggar, and, and in most of the time they, they pushed beggars away, and, and uh, Alexander the Great saw this beggar, and he was crying out for alms, for money from Alexander the Great, and, and Alexander the Great reached into his purse, and he pulled out gold coins, which was an enormous amount of money, and he threw a handful of gold coins at this beggar, and one of his entourage, one of his servants, uh, grabbed Alexander the Great, and he said, Alexander... Why did you give the beggar gold coins when copper would have sufficed? And Alexander said this, copper coins would suit the beggar, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suits Alexander's giving. And here's what he was trying to say with that. That it's not about what that man needs. It's about what I can give. Whether it's copper or gold. When I look at what Jesus gave to me. There's nothing I ought to hold back from him. Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. You probably won't recognize this picture. But it's a picture of John Wesley. John Wesley was... Uh, Famous preacher in the 1700s. He was born in 1703, died in 1791, lived most of the 1700s. And, you know, he started the Methodist Church. Many of you are familiar with him. We sing hymns of the Wesleys. And his, his mother is famous. And, and there's a lot about the Wesleys, you know. But here's what you may not know. Though John Wesley grew up from very humble beginnings, he actually became quite wealthy uh, throughout his ministry. As a matter of fact, at his height, John Wesley was earning about 1,400 British pounds a year the British dollar, British pounds. That's the equivalent of about $300,000 in our day and age. So here's a preacher who's half the time living on the street and he's earning about $300,000 a year. But yet John Wesley determined he was going to live off 30 pounds of the 
1,400 pounds a year. So here's what he did. He earned 1,400 pounds a year. He lived off 30. And so he gave away, he lived off 2% and he gave away 98% of his income. And he was explaining it in a sermon and he was preaching from Luke 16. And here's what John Wesley said. He said, money is an excellent gift of God. Answering the noblest ends in the hands of his children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. It gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. Money may supply the place of a husband to the widow and of a father to the fatherless. May be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may be his eyes to the blind, his feet to the lame. Yea, a lifter up from the gates of death. It is therefore of the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent, that they may be instructed how it may answer these glorious ends and in the highest degree. And so he summed it up and he said, here was his philosophy of money. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Here's what he told his friends. If it is said when I die, I have more than 10 pounds to my name, bear witness that I have died a thief and a robber. Gain all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. It's what Paul was trying to say. The more you sow, the more you'll grow. Not a have to, but a get to generosity. If you plant, he provides in every area of life and you just can't outgive God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Would you stand with me across the room? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, this is not about, it's not a money sermon. This is about you trusting God's sermon. It's about Jesus gave you the greatest gift the world has ever known, his life, his son. That's what he gave to you. And if when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you aren't sure where you'll spend eternity, maybe today you need to be saved. And it's as simple as ABC, A, admit you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. B, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins rose again the third day and see, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have staff members down here that love to. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.